as we turn now to the Word of God. If you'd like to read with me, I'll be in Exodus chapter 12 this morning. We'll be in Exodus chapter 12. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, uh, your word says and Christ affirms that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, as we approach now your holy word, help us to do so with humbleness, but with hearing hearts that we would feast upon what you have for us here. Help us to hang upon your very words and conform what I say to yours, that it would produce in us faith and hope and obedience in you. Guide us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We'll be reading here from Exodus chapter 12. We'll begin here in verse 14 as we continue this uh, exploration here of the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever, and you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day unto the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month, uh, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land." You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clams and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. 
And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. This is the word of God. Now, we've divided this Passover section, this first half of chapter 12, into two parts, uh, which we will address this week and, and addressed in part last week. And we've done this because there are two things happening simultaneously at this moment, here on the eve of the tenth and final plague of Egypt. In this section here, the Lord is instructing his people, first, how the Passover is to be done now, how they're to carry it out here in Egypt. That's what we looked at last week. If you're interested in that, you can go back and listen to that online. But the second part is how the Passover is to be done later, in future years. That's what we want to look at today. The Passover for the people of God is a true pivot point for them. This is when the people of Israel would finally be brought out of their slavery for generations in Egypt. And as they're being brought out, there is lots that they will leave behind. They'll leave behind their homes, their neighborhood, everything that has come to feel like home to them. The Passover meal was supposed to be a mark of that clean break. That they were to eat that Passover meal, all, all of it. And what they couldn't finish from the meal, even they were to burn. Even in this moment at this Passover, the very first uh, verses of this chapter talk about how there's a reset of the calendar here, that this month is now supposed to be the beginning of months for you. Can you imagine an event so monumental that all of us get together and go, you know what, let's just call this month January from now on. It is that different for them, that it's really out with the old and in with the new, that the Lord is really giving them new life. But there are some things that they are supposed to carry with them. And one of those things is the yearly feast of Passover, the holiday itself. We see it described in the first verse we read, verse 14, let me read it again. The Lord says, this day shall be for you a memorial feast. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So this memorial was to be passed on to their kids and their kids and their kids throughout the generations as a sort of day of remembrance. It was fairly common 
for the people of Israel. There were lots of sorts of holiday feasts that they have woven into their life together. They were commanded by God to observe various feasts. There's a whole list of them in Leviticus chapter 23, if you're interested. So they had a feast called the Feast of First Fruits, sort of like a, a harvest festival. Uh, there's a Feast of Weeks, which is an interesting name. A feast, there's a Feast of Trumpets, a Feast for the Day of Atonement. There's a Feast of Booths which is my personal favorite, where they kind of go camping. And, and that carried on through generations. Even after thousands of years now, Jews still observe these today. In fact, if you have a calendar that puts these sort, prints these sorts of things on there, you'll see them by their more common names. So Pentecost or Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, these things are still observed. So this, this now annual feast of Passover that is to be carried on for generations as the Lord has established it is actually a week long. It starts with a really big day. That first day, the actual feast of Passover, the meal, the Pesach, if we call it that, is on the first day, but it kicks off the week. And what follows then is seven days of what's described here in verse 17 as the feast of unleavened bread. And that would last, this feast of unleavened bread, for seven days, a whole week of it. So the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread, are, they're so closely tied together that they're virtually one holiday. In fact, sometimes they're interchangeable. The feast of unleavened bread and the feast of Passover, it all kind of becomes one. Now, let's talk about this feast of unleavened bread. Just from the name, feast of unleavened bread, to me, that doesn't sound like much of a feast. Right? Feast of bread, unleavened bread even. It's like saying, let's celebrate the feast of wheat thins. Even if you like wheat thins, take the salt off maybe. You know, the, the only food mentioned in this feast holiday is the unleavened bread, the, the matzah, which is this flat, really crackery, pretty bland, tasteless bread. And so it seems that you would build, it seems strange to build this like whole feast holiday around that. Actually, if we look closely to what's being described here, this feast, this seven-day feast, is characterized more by what's not there than by what is there. That they were supposed to take things out, not put things in. Specifically, they were to take out all leaven, all yeast. It was forbidden and serious. You could be cut off for violating this. So this leaven then refers to a lot more things than just bread. Today, Jews call this hemetz, hemetz, hemetz. I can never get quite the, 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 the Jewish in there, hemetz. So this is anything with traces of barley, rye, oats, wheat, or spelt. So that means we're getting rid of most pastas which for me means most of what I can cook. Uh, but most pots, pasta is totally gone. Uh, most pizza, beer, pretzels, stuffing, ketchup even, cookies. B breakfast is pretty much gone in the sense that we know it. So no oatmeal, no bagels, no cereal, no muffins, no toast. All of this is, is, is totally gone. So some feast, right? I mean, what's left to eat? 
uh, all week if you take out all of these things. And even more than this, this leavened chemets, these things that have leavened products in them, not only were they to not eat them for a week, they were to totally get it out of their house. All of it. Which means that you would have to scour your pantry, your fridge, your floor, your cabinets, underneath your dining table. You've got to look for crumbs in the couch, in the bed if you're a nighttime eater, uh, maybe on the porch even. So if you have kids, no place is safe. I found a crust of bread once in my jeans drawer that I don't know how it got there. And this morning, as I was brushing my teeth, noticed a Cheerio in the bathroom closet. So we would have to overturn the entire house to get it all out. All the leaven needs to be gone. This is still true, by the way, for Jews today. This is not just, oh, back then when they maybe had a tent. No, it's still the case. So preparation for the Feast of Passover, for the Pecha, would start weeks prior. So this is around April, so it's a sort of now religious spring cleaning, if we can call it that. And they would have to overturn pretty much their entire house to get it all out, so that by the time Passover would arrive, there would be no trace of leaven left. There's even a particular Jewish tradition now around this called Bedikat Chemetz, in which just after nightfall, on the eve before Passover, the family takes a candle, now sometimes also a flashlight, but a candle and a feather and a wooden spoon, and you hunt through the entire house looking for any leftover leaven chemets product. And, uh, and, and if you find any, you're supposed to take the feather and sweep it into, a, into the wooden spoon, and then you put it in a paper bag so that in the morning you can burn the last of the leaven on the morning of Passover. And if you've done your cleaning job well, hopefully this is not a last-minute panic getting all the Cheerios out of everything. If you've done your job well in preparation for this, there should be nothing left to find. And so it's traditional then to wrap up 10 small little packets of bread, mush a little ball, wrap it up with paper so that it won't leave any crumbs, and to hide those 10 packets in the house and then the kids go through with their feather and spoon and have to make sure to find all 10 and put it in the bag so that they will have something to burn in the morning. It's a sort of scavenger hunt for the leaven in the house. And I look at something like that and I go, okay, sounds kind of fun, 
sort of like leaving cookies out for Santa, I guess. Seems sort of like a fun little procedure for the kids. Maybe even for me, you go hunting for your eleven with your candle and your feather. Uh, it starts to feel a little bit more like a holiday. But overall, still, overall, this feast week doesn't sound still much like a feast, not much like a festival. I mean, there's a lot of works, work to prepare, weeks even, of cleaning. And then the week is just missing foods, a lot of foods. And so if I look at this at the front, it might seem to me or to, to other readers like a sort of dull or dismal holiday. But that's not the case at least not if it's done well. There was a time in the life of Israel, so this is now hundreds of years after this event that we've read now. Israel is now in the promised land, and there's a time in the life of Israel when their religious life as a community had started to fade. They didn't pass these things on to their generations, and slowly the bottom just started to drop out. So they had become Israelite in name, but not in faith or in practice. And we actually know what this looks like now, because there are many Christians who are like this, who are Christian in name, maybe, but not in faith or practice. And that's a very serious concern. And so Hezekiah, the king of Judah at the time, is concerned by this. He realizes that all of these things had had fallen out out of use, and so he's trying to recover some of the old ways that they would return to the Lord in obedience and following after what he has called them to do. So he's trying to reinstitute sort of worship temple gatherings. He's bringing back some of the offerings and, and sacrifices, and specifically, he reinstates the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is described in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. I won't read it. Let me summarize here what occurs. Hezekiah, then, as the king of Judah, trying to reinstate the Passover feast, sends out messengers to all the tribes and the people, saying, come, We need to have this Passover again. Come, let's gather at Jerusalem for this feast again. And some who heard that message scoffed. Why do we need that? No big deal. It sounds like a bummer anyway. But some came. Many came to this new Passover feast. And those who came for this week of Passover found it to be a time of giving thanks a time of encouragement, a time of praising the Lord. It's even described that they were singing with all their might, which I find interesting to think about. And the summary of the week of Passover that they experienced is described as a day of great gladness. In fact, it was so good that they decided to extend the feast for a second week. At the end of it, it says, And there was great joy in Jerusalem, because they had not experienced this since the days of Solomon. So this feast, with all this preparation, all this work, no leavened products, how then is this feast such a time of joy for them? What was it about this week where there's all this tedious preparation and where they eat crackers? How could that produce such gladness? 
the point of the Passover feast, if it's followed well, is not just to have a good time. I mean, we all know that if our main goal is to seek happiness and rest, paradoxically, we can never seem to find happiness and rest. That's not the main goal. The main goal is also not just to have a bunch of traditions that might be fun. Like we shoot off fireworks, we decorate the Christmas tree, we make the bunny cake, and we hide little packages of bread around the house to find. That's not the goal. It's fine, good traditions. We love traditions in our house, good for what they are, but that's not the point of the feast. What is the point of the feast of Passover? It's a good question to ask. It's actually one that the text encourages us to ask. The kids ask it in verse 26. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Mom, What do we mean by this? Dad, why do we even do all of this? Look at the answer. Verse 27, you shall say, it's a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. In other words, the whole point of the annual repeated Passover week was to relive the story of the Passover in Exodus. To relive it. This Memorial Day, as it's described, is not just a memorial or a memory, a reminder in our minds. In some sense, they are to reenact parts of it in their lives. Physically take all the leavened products out of your house so that you actually enter into this experience so that you remember what has happened by embodying it. So if they're to keep the feast as just a sort of empty religion, you know, a ritual checklist, that's not going to do much for them. In fact, if they do it that way, it might have the opposite of the intended effect. It won't bring joy. It'll just make you irritable, grudging, because I have to do all these things. If they keep the feast as just a sort of fun family tradition that we do every year, that's not going to do much for them either, because then it gets reduced to a bunch of toys, playthings and trinkets that don't really have any power or real effect on me. But if they are to keep the feast as a lived-out reminder of who they are, of where they came from, and most of all, of what the Lord has done, then I can see how this little cracker feast would be a real source of joy and rest. Because I'm now seeing in this ritual Passover a powerful picture, not only in my mind, but in my life, of a God who saves Not just generally, but a God who saves me, who saves us, who has saved my grandpa and great-grandpa and so on forever and ever throughout generations. That's the point of the Passover. That's why it's joyful, because it's a lens by which we see and know God. But that now leaves us here with a conundrum. 
Because the Passover, as it's described here, is set up by God to be a perpetual statute. Something that they keep throughout their generations as a life-giving reminder forever, the text even says. Jews still to this day practice Passover, but why don't we? Aren't we the people of God? Aren't we part of the generations of the people of God? How then does this Passover feast play out for Christians? The answer is not that Christians don't do rituals anymore. It's not that we don't do memorial things. That might sound spiritual when people say, oh, we don't need rituals. No, no, no. That's not what scripture says. We have to be careful not to abuse or or over-elevate or worship religious traditions or make them more than they're intended to be. We don't want them to be idols, but we still need them. They're still the Lord's gift to us. It's not that Christians don't need the old rituals anymore. It's that Christians now have different ritual memorials from God. That on the night before Jesus was crucified, he did this. He shared a Passover meal with his disciples. And when Jesus did this, he begins to take the elements of the Passover meal in his hands and starts to equate himself with these things. Transforming the Passover into what we now call the Lord's Supper. This is what Christians observe instead of Passover. We now observe the Lord's Supper. That Jesus takes this cracker, this flat little matzah bread, and he broke it and said, this, my body. And he takes the cup of wine, this, New covenant in my blood. Take, eat, drink. And in the future days, as often as you do this, do this in, you know the rest, do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is a Christian memorial feast. It's a Christian memorial feast. And by memorial, we mean the same thing that we we see here. It's not a memorial of just this sort of empty repetition, something we check off and do every quarter, every week, every month, depending on where we are. It's not just a fun tradition, little toys that we trifle with, little cracker, little bread. It's not just something that we even think and ponder The Lord's Supper is not just something that exists in our minds. A memorial is much more than that. It is lived out just as the Passover was. Paul talks about it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, where is it? Verse 16, he says, listen, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ. Do you hear it? The Lord's Supper is a participation in Jesus. Not just memories, not just thinking about it, it's remembering by embodying this. That in a sense, the life, death, 
resurrection and life again of Jesus is being relived in and before us. Not relived in the sense that Christ is sacrificed again, just like Israel doesn't literally go back into slavery and come back out, but in a sense that the story is laid out and we enter into it and participate in it. So that when our kids, our kids as Christians ask, what do you mean by this? Mom, why do we do this? Can I have some of that juice? We tell them about this. And we re-enter into the story of Jesus about his perfect life and obedience to the Father, that his sacrificial death to save sinners like us, that he was resurrected to bring his people out of slavery and into new life. The Lord's Supper feast, this memorial feast, is a powerful picture in our minds and in our lives of the God who saves And not only that, that he has saved and brought us into it, that we are participants through Jesus. Ha, now, that sounds like a great place to land. End, pray, I'm done. In a sense, that's that's a great spot. There's one more thing that needs to be said here. Just like the Passover, this is less of a landing pad than it is a launch pad. You follow me? It's not a landing pad, it's a launch pad. The Passover was meant to move the people forward in the light of God, in the power of God, in the rest of God. It was meant to transform their lives in regular holiness as they grew throughout generations, not to go look backward only. So the effect of the memorial then is, is, of course, not to forget what the Lord has done in the past. We need that. The Lord has saved us, but also to really change the course of how we live in the future. That we are now a freed people under God. People who are unshackled now to live holy lives as he has intended. That's how this carries on for us We'll end here with this comparison that Paul makes for us in relation to the Passover. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let these verses sink in here. Because this is what it means for us now as Christians to live out the Passover and to be changed by this. Listen to the intent. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 6. He says to us, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's make that true of us. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you.
for the great gift of this memorial feast and the Passover that you have set up for generations now in the Lord's Supper even for us. Would you guard us against any ritual going through the motions? Guard us against belittling these profound things. Lord, help us to see in the Passover and in the Lord's Supper that you are God. And a God who saves, help us then in the light of that to be glad to obey you and to follow you. And we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.